before we start, I just want to say that me and Pastor JP are wearing the same exact things. Just want to let everybody know. The shirt, the pants, the shoes. It wasn't on purpose. But that's what it means to be on one accord with the Lord. That's what it means. All right, all right, all right. It's the official clergy collar of the PCA church is the checkered outfit. All right. Sorry. <laughs> okay. All right. Let's begin our reading. Our reading is coming from uh, 2 Corinthians 7, 1 through 13. And before I start, I just want to say this scripture really has been, has convicted me uh, for about two years. And so I really am glad that uh, the Lord has, uh, you know, prompt me to uh, preach it. And I hope it convicts you as well. Cool. All right. <laughs> Let's read 2 Corinthians 7, 1 through 13. It reads, since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Make room in your hearts for us. We have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We have taken advantage of no one. I do not say this to condemn you, for I said before that you are in our hearts. To die together and to live together. I am not acting with great boldness toward you. I have great pride in you. I am filled with comfort. In all of our affliction, I am overflowing with joy. For even when we came to Macedonia, our bodies had no rest. We were afflicted at every turn, fighting without fear within. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. And not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted by you. As he told us of your longing, your, your mourning, your zeal for me, so I rejoice still more. For even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did not regret it, for I see that the letter grieved you, though only for a while. As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. For we see what earnest this godly grief has produced in you, but also what eagerness to, to clear your name, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. At every point, you have proved yourself innocent in the matter. So although I wrote you, it, it, is, it was not for the sake of the one who did the wrong, nor for the sake of the one who suffered the wrong, but in order that your earnestness, for us might be revealed in you in the sight of God. Therefore, we are comforted. And besides our own comfort, we rejoice still more at the joy of Titus because of his spirit. 
has been refreshed by you all. The word of God for the people of God. Let's pray. Lord, I come to you, Lord, a broken vessel, Lord. Restored, renewed by you, but yet broken, Lord. I ask you, Lord, that you would uh, speak through me, speak for me, Lord. Open our hearts, open our hearts, Lord, to hear your word, to receive your word, Lord. Allow me to be a mouthpiece, Lord. Allow me to decrease so that you may increase. In your name, Lord, we pray. Amen. So the title of the sermon is Jesus' Star Students. Jesus' Star Students. Now, believe it or not, y'all, when I was in the elementary school, I was a mischievous child. Now, y'all who know me were probably like, really? Nah, right. You know, I, I was a mischievous child. I, I received several disciplinary letters from various teachers for various reasons. Sometimes it was for my grade. Don't laugh at me, you know. Sometimes it was for my grades. Sometimes it was for my behavior. And sometimes it was for both. I thought these bad letters were just a result of the teacher not liking me. Have you ever heard it before? The teacher just doesn't like me. My father used to say, the teacher ain't there to like you. I don't know if you ever heard that before. But the, re the real reason they did this is because they loved me. They cared. See, I knew I was wrong, and, and it bothered me. It caused me to grieve. I had a choice. I, I could ignore the teachers, ignore my parents, and become a terrible student, or allow my grief to change me. This change would, would, would lead me to being a, a star student, I, the student I wanted and needed to be, who my teachers and my parents said I could be. I don't know if, don't know if you have ever been that kind of student. So the question is, you know, how can we strive for holiness that leads us to being Jesus' star students? We can look at it in three ways. We should know what wrong causes us to grieve. Then we have a choice between giving that grief over to the Lord. Or we can give it over to the world. We're going to talk about that. Now, and one leads to death while one leads to repentance that brings salvation. So you got your three points. This thing keeps acting up. Cause of grief, godly grief, worldly grief, repentance, and salvation. Let's look at our text. Cause of grief. Let's look at that. Our first point. 2 Corinthians 7, 1 through 4. If you read this chapter, it it begins with since, since we have these promises. This, this lets us know that chapter 7 is an extension of chapter 6. Here he is reminding them of their acceptance of idolatry and all that comes with it. Out of worship gives us a false sense of security and righteousness. And what Paul is saying is that as believers... You should have nothing to do with those things that will defile you and spiral you down into more sin. But as believers, though, he said, your righteousness and your security 
are to be in the promises of God. So at the end of, uh, of Ephesians 6, Paul mentions this promise, and I'm, we're going to look at it real quick. Let me see where it is. Here it is, yeah. He says, I'm going to read it. He says, what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, uh-oh, hold on. Technology, y'all, technology, here we go. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separated from them, says the Lord. Do not touch no unclean thing, then I will welcome you. And I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. So Paul uses a few Old Testament scriptures, and he's basically saying, if you want to receive the promises of God, you have to be holy. And you have to cleanse yourself of any defilement. Paul desires the Corinthians to be holy, so he begins to admonish them in their idolatry. And usually, now think about it, when we begin to talk about people's sin, they do a few things, or we do a few things. We deny it, we retaliate, or we even become bitter. They begin to accuse Paul. Uh, 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 of, of moral, religious ruin, financial gain. You, 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 you're, you're taking the money. You, you know, you, 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 you're misusing the funds. And, and this is why Paul says, this is what he says right here. He says, I'm sorry, technology, y'all. He says, we have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We have taken advantage of no one. And he says, instead of this, in spite of all this, Paul says, something amazing. He says, make room in your hearts for us. He says, your heart, you are in our hearts. Among all this accusation, Paul is not admonishing him just to be a jerk. He's not doing it just to be mean. He's doing it because he loves them so much and he desires them to be holy. He worries about their well-being. He, so he, he wants them to turn from sin, and what eventually begins to happen is God opens the eyes of the Corinthians to their sin, and it causes them to grieve. But let me say this. Being called out of your sin can hurt, but grieving it is worse. It's worse. You know, years ago, I remember I was confronted uh, with my sin by my two older brothers, it was very, I remember it very clearly. It was the summer of 2004. It was a Sunday evening, Charlotte, North Carolina, at a McDonald's on Central Avenue, 9 p.m. We sat down to the booth closest to the exit. And my brother sat on the left, and my other brother, Terrence, sat on the right. Howard, my oldest brother, ordered an apple pie. It was a rough night. They went in on me so bad, I just broke down in McDonald's. They told me about my immaturity, 
my arrogance, my work ethics, and all my other sins. I grieved so bad that night I couldn't sleep. I tossed and turned. But the next day, the gospel became crystal clear. And my brothers confronted me, not because they were being mean, but they loved me and wanted me to strive for holiness. I don't know if y'all know uh, Jackie Hill Perry. Jackie Hill Perry is a, a spoken word poet, a Christian hip-hop artist. She has an awesome testimony um, on YouTube. Uh, there's, there's a couple of them. There's a longer one. There's a shorter one. If you, ever, if you ever get a chance, please, Jackie Hill Perry testimony, it is amazing. But in one of her testimonies, this is what she says. She says, love isn't glossing over truth. That is hate. Love is being willing to set yourself aside and suffer and offend for the sake of the gospel with compassion. See, some of us think we shouldn't call out sin. We, we shouldn't talk about it. It, it, it. Some believe it's none of our business. Uh, but, but shouldn't we want to strive for holiness? Don't we want people to love us? Shouldn't we not grieve when we sin? We are commanded to deal and admonish sin. When people call out our sin, think about it. Do we resist? Do we get angry? Do we point fingers? Do we compare and say, well, I'm not like that person. Now, that person is worse than me. Do we call somebody judgmental? Were you just judging me? Or, you know, I don't want to judge that person. Or do we just simply deny it? Here is something else. It is easy to grieve other sins. We look at the world and say, oh, man, that hurts. We look at other families, other friends and say, oh, my gosh, look what they're... But do we grieve our own sins? I mean, think about it. Sitting here today, do we grieve our sins? You see, remember, Paul is admonishing the sins, not, he's not admonishing the sins of the Greek community. He's admonishing the sins of the church community. You see, again, it's easy to talk about the world's mess, but it, 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 because it makes us look righteous by the standard we place on the world. But the question is, do we today sitting here in this congregation grieve our sins? How many husbands here? Have, how many of us have, as husbands, have, have we grieved the sinfulness towards our wives? How many wives here have grieved the sinfulness towards our husband or how we treat our children or how us as children treat our parents? Do we grieve the sins of bullying other people at a job or we see it and we ignore it? Do we grieve the sin when we look over, over uh, the other way when your friend is down the road about to do something wrong and all you say to that person is, you can do that, but I wouldn't. And that's, we leave it like that. Do we grieve the sin when we look down on people who are not like us, who don't think like us, who don't talk like us, who, don't, who aren't the same color as us? Or do we grieve and, and ignore the sin in our families and just say, that's just that person? Did we grieve the sin when we sexually objectified that person or persons? Did we grieve the sin when we gossip about 
that family or those people yesterday. See, we live in the South, right? And see, the South culture is it's good to be nice rather than stand into truth. I'd rather be nice than omit things that could hurt somebody, even though it might be the truth. Would you rather be nice or deal with the grief? If you are, have been grieving or have found a, new, a newfound grief, allow the Holy Spirit to work your grief to Christ. When the Holy Spirit works through your heart, where does it take you? And this takes me to my next point. Godly grief, worldly grief. Paul here is discussing, he begins discussing his hardship in mission work. You know, how he struggles with things inside and out, but he is sort of rejuvenated and he's refreshed by Titus, by the sea, because when he left Corinthians, Titus went there in his place. And so Titus shows up with news and, and he is greeted with great news to Paul. He tells Paul, the Corinthian church has repented. They have a deep desire and a longing to see you, Paul. This is important. Now, Paul doesn't rejoice because of their grief. Grief doesn't bring joy. Neither does it bring comfort. What Paul's joy and comfort is that their grief brought them to repentance. They turned themselves. They went to the Lord. And Paul calls it godly grief. He says that godly grief in the, in the, in the, for the Corinthians, it produced repentance that led them to salvation. And that's where the joy is. But he also mentions something else. He mentions worldly grief. And I think Paul is mentioning this because the Corinthian church are so used to their worldly life, they could have taken their pain to the world and laid it to the world. I'm going to go to them to deal with my pain. And they had a choice. I think a great illustration of godly grief and worldly grief is Peter and Judas. Great examples. When you think about it, and I really want you to think about it, Peter and Judas did the same thing. They both rejected Jesus by betraying and denying him. But mainly, they both grieved. In Luke 22, it says, Peter wept bitterly after he denied Jesus three times, right? Now, this Greek word for weep bitterly, it, it means to feel a mental agony. It also is an idiom that means to be swallowed up by grief to the point of giving up. In Matthew 27, Judas, when he realizes what he did, the Bible says he had remorse. In the Greek, it means the same thing, to regret, to feel sad, to have sorrow or grief to the point of giving up. If you know the story, in John, the book of John, Peter has godly grief, and he is restored and is comforted by Christ. But in Matthew, unfortunately, Judas, he has worldly grief. He is rejected by the chief priests. And as a result of this grief that he cannot bear, he commits suicide by hanging himself. We're going to come back to that, though. I think a lot of us who grieve our sins, we feel condemned. I can't make it. I'm, I'm just struggling. I, I can't get myself together. Why is things 
keep falling apart. I don't know if you've ever been there or you're in that now, but I know I've been there and sometimes I go back to it. I just, why are things just messed up? Why do I keep treating this person like this and it's hurting? We become entrenched and snared by our grief and remain in a state of guilt, failure, and even loneliness. Maybe some of you today are struggling with worldly grief. And I'm here to tell you that you will only end up like Judas if you go that route. But godly grief, godly grief brings life. Godly grief, it brings restoration. I think a lot of us, when it comes to worldly grief, it might not always look like Judas. See, sometimes we'll go to the world and say, if I can just be more moral, if I can just stand on this political platform, if I just treat my wife and husband like this, if I just do this, if I just go here, if I do more and more of this, if I just ignore it, if I just say that's just the way things are, if I just do these other things, I'm here to tell you, it will only lead to death. There is no other way. But godly grief takes us to repentance. Third point. I love this part of the chapter. Because you can imagine that how, as Paul is writing this joy that is going through his heart. Because they have repentant. He, he, he first mentions that they are apologetic, right? And, 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 and then he mentions that they have a righteous indignation towards sin. We're sorry, we're, we're, we're sorry about our sin. And then they don't, they don't they're angry about sin. They, they, they now are in reverence of Christ and Christ's followers. They're now longing to be with Paul when at first they accused him of things. Now they want to be with him. They have the deep desire to see him again. And I believe this is a matter of gratitude for his investment in their life. Their eyes are open. Paul mentions that they are devoted now. And when this scripture says what punishment, what he's saying is they have a quick desire to deal with sin right then and there. Simply put, They've repented. They've received salvation, and they're being sanctified. They're being changed. God is doing a new thing in their life. They have, like we said this morning, they're singing a new song. He goes on and says that he wasn't writing. He, he wasn't writing to condemn anyone or to blame them, but he desired harmony between him and the Corinthian church through Christ. And the repentance of sin among believers can bring us unity and peace through Jesus Christ. This is uh, my favorite picture of Olivia. This is my, I love this picture. Is it there? No, it's not there. Wow, what happened? Oh, it was there? Okay. All right. I love this picture of Olivia. You know, my daughter, Olivia, if you know, you know, she's five years old now, but um, for those who know, I think everybody knows that my daughter, Olivia, has Down syndrome. And most kids with Downs, for the most part, have a low muscle tone. Okay, Olivia has great muscle tone, and she has some mosaism, meaning, you know, she's a little bit more higher function. But she, but she still has some muscle, low muscle tone in other areas. For example, her esophagus. 
it was not as strong, and so it was hard for her to keep food down. And so she would always bring it back up. And, and this went on for a very long time, and, and, it, and, and it began to show. She was becoming more malnourished. She was very small. And eventually, after several doctor visits, it, she finally got an intube. And if you know what an intube is, it's when a, t- a feeding tube goes through the nose and through the back of the throat into the stomach, and it was painful. It was a headache because it was on her face, and Olivia would knock it out, and you'd have to take it back through her nose and hold her down and take it down through her stomach, and you had to make sure it was in the right place in her stomach. It was a pain. There were times when the daycare center called me and said, hey, look, the intube came out, and I had to rush over there and put it back in. It, it was a headache. But eventually she got a G-tube, and of course a G-tube is a feeding tube that goes from the stomach, surgically into the stomach, and into a feeding, uh, a, a, feeding a, a machine that pumps milk into her stomach, and it worked, and it worked quickly. Though we had to get used to the buttons and when to feed and the amount and the time and all that, it, and sometimes the G-tube would even come out, and we had to put it back in, it, and it had a balloon, it was all kind of stuff, but it was working. And eventually, after, and eventually uh, uh, she, she began to change. She had more energy. She was filling out like a normal toddler. She was more active, and she was healthier. And to see this change in her brought Latifi and I great joy and comfort. And of course, today, you see she doesn't have the G-tube. She doesn't need it. She's growing into a beautiful young lady. It should bring us joy. It should bring us joy and comfort to see those who are in Christ begin to change. That should bring us great joy. Paul speaks of himself, you know, he says he's rejoicing at what happened. Let me ask you something. Why are we filled with so much joy and excitement when we experience and when others experience a milestone? I'm not saying it's bad, right? I mean, we have balloons and we have gifts and cake, celebratory dinners and events. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I like cake. I like gifts. I like dinner. You know, nothing wrong with that. But, but when someone repents and is led to salvation, why does it seem like we're quieter? Why aren't we celebrating? Why aren't we as excited? Why aren't we rejoicing as much? What is going on? Now, don't get me wrong, again, it's great to see a milestone, but there's nothing like someone who has actually repented of their sin and said, I messed up, and I'm coming to Christ, who repents, and they turn their life, they have godly grief, and they turn their life to Christ, and it's a time of excitement, excitement, celebration. I'm not saying you got to have balloons and gifts, but, you know, that would be nice, I guess. But it should bring us joy to see a family member that you know that has been gone for years and now they're like, Christ has done something to me. It should bring us joy when there's a friend who you know was on their last leg and they're like, I'm, in, I'm, I'm following Christ now. Everything, this, I could have been dead. We know people like that. We know family members like that who have, I was gone and Christ found me and they hate sin. That's a beautiful thing, y'all. And guess what? We carry that good news. 
We can take it to people. So let's go back to our question. How can we strive for holiness? How can we receive God's promise? How can we be Jesus' star student? You see, let me say this. We might grieve our sins, but there is no one who grieves sins the most like Jesus. He grieved it the most. He grieved our sins so much. He loved us so much that in eternity, he was willing to not only call out sin, but come down to earth as man to die for our sins. His desire for us was to be holy and to enjoy the promises of God. I mean, think about it. This, think about this. Judas' grief, Judas's grief brought death, but Jesus' grief brought life. It brought life because unlike Judas, Jesus rose again, defeating death. Instead, in a sense, we can be like Peter. We can repent. We can be restored. We can receive salvation. We don't have to grieve anymore. We can be holy because of what Christ has done. We can finally be Jesus' star students by his finishing work. We don't have to grieve and sit in it. We can take it to the Lord and say, Lord, I messed up. I can't be your star student. And Jesus is like, that's okay because I, I got it. I can restore it. I did all that on the cross for you. I was that student. Think about it. You ever been in that classroom? And there's always that student that, who I was that was always in the corner. He was always in timeout. His desk was way over here and everybody over here. That was Jesus' desk for us. Jesus was in the corner with his face turned to the wall. He became a bad student so that we can be his star students. And knowing, we all know, and knowing the promises of God, don't ever, ever be afraid to deal with sin. Don't ever be afraid to call it out. Don't ever be afraid to stand against it because it might just, that grief might just lead them to godly grief that brings repentance, that leads to salvation. Let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you, Lord, that we can have godly grief, Lord. I want to thank you, Lord, that someone somewhere said something about our sin, said something about my sin so that I can see who you are, so that we can see who you are, Lord. Help us to love one another, even if it means sometimes dealing with sinful issues so that this person who we love can turn to you and repent. In your name, Lord, we thank you and we praise you. Amen.